Hello, my friends. Nguy here. I just wanted to thank you all for listening to my podcast, Small Excellence, and a special thanks to those who have subscribed. I am truly grateful for your support. Let us play a game of word association. If I were to say the word paradise, what words or images pop into your mind's eye? Would you think of a beach, a palm tree, or lounging with a book? What if I said the word work? Maybe you would think of your boss, a desk, having a cup of coffee, etc. Now what if I said Jamaican people? The words friendly, relaxed, boisterous, hardworking would certainly fit, but defiant is also very appropriate. Welcome to Small Excellence, where I discuss various nations around the world. I'm your host, Nguy. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share. Also, take a look at the Small Excellence website at www.smallexcellence.com. That address again is www.smallexcellence.com. Lastly, we have an online shop called Small Merchandise, featuring a rotating capsule collection of items. You can find the link for the shop's website on the Small Excellence announcement page, or you can go to www.smallmerchandise.shop. This season, we're speaking about my homeland, Jamaica. In this episode, I want to speak about an aspect of Jamaican culture that is an open secret or rebellious nature. The unruliest slaves were sent to Jamaica. Variations of that statement has been touted as fact, but is rarely an unproven rumor, sometimes given as an explanation to rationalize why Jamaica had the most rebellions of all the British colonies. The rejection of injustice through rebellion and acts of defiance is a universal response to subjugation. Being enslaved is no exception. There are numerous examples throughout history of revolts, insurrections, revolutions, and the like. Here are a few of the uprisings led by or inspired by Jamaicans. Although credited with igniting the initial spark of rebellion among the enslaved black people of Haiti, Dottie Bookman remains an obscure figure in the Asian Revolution. Dottie Bookman, also known as Bookman Dutty, was born in Senegambia, present-day Senegal and Gambia, prior to his enslavement in Jamaica. Not much is known about his early life, but he was described as a religious man, apparently practicing a blend of traditional African religion, voodoo, and possibly a form of Abrahamic religion. He was also known to be a self-educated multilinguist, described as quick-tempered and having a large imposing physique and the essence of a warrior. His surname was a play on the words book and man, which is thought to be a nod to his ability to read. During his time in Jamaica, he was discovered teaching other slaves to read along with planning a revolt. For his participation in both these highly punishable acts, Bookman was sold to a plantation in St. Domingue, modern-day Haiti, where he was placed as a slave driver and later a coach driver. While in St. Domingue, he continued to teach enslaved Africans to read. He became a Maroon leader and a Ugnan, which is a male Udon priest. He also held secret meetings about revolution. It is said that sometime between August 14th and August 22nd, 1791, on a hilltop located in Bois Cayman, Bookman 
and Cecile Fatiman, a mambo, also known as a voodoo priestess, presided at a voodoo ceremony attended by an estimated 1,000 to 2,000 slaves, along with future Asian revolutionary leaders Jean-Francois Papillon, George Bessou, and Jeannard. This ceremony served as the last of a series of meetings used to organize a slave revolt. Markel Philippot, a researcher from Gothenburg University, confirms the event of the Bois Cayman ceremony, an important part of Asian national identity, as it relates to the very genesis of Haiti. Bookman announces in what is described as a prayer, the God who created the earth, who created the sun that gives us light, the God who holds up the ocean, who makes the thunder roar, or God who has ears to hear, you who are hidden in the clouds, who watch us from where you are. You see all that the white man has made us suffer. The white man's God asks him to commit crimes, but the God within us wants us to do good. Our God, who is so good, so just, he orders us to revenge our wrongs. It's he who will direct our arms and bring us victory. It's he who will assist us. We all should throw away the image of the white man's God, who is so pitiless. Listen to the voice of liberty that speaks in all our hearts. And with that, the Asian Revolution begins in the northern part of the island. Rebels move from plantation to plantation, burning, pillaging, and killing as they went. As Bookman and his followers move through the colony, thousands more slaves join the fight. Months later, on November 7, 1791, Dottie Bookman is killed by the French, his head severed and displayed publicly as a deterrent of further revolts. Though his participation in the revolution is short-lived, Bookman is solidified as the first leader of the Asian Revolution. His participation galvanized the enslaved people of Saint-Domingue. The likes of Toussaint Louverture, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, Henri Christophe, and Alexander Pétion continued in the fight for freedom, which ends with colonial authorities surrendering on November 9, 1803, following the Battle of Berthier. The country announces its independence on January 1, 1804, and declares its name Haiti, meaning mountainous land in the Taino language. In 1831, decades after the Asian Revolution, and two years before the British Parliament passed the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833, a slave and Baptist deacon named Samuel Sharp planned a day of peaceful protest that morphed into a full-blown uprising. Sam Sharp was born around 1801 on a plantation in the parish of St. James, owned by a British lawyer who is also his namesake. For reasons unknown, Sam was allowed to become educated. His education enables him to become a traveling preacher and a deacon at the Birchill Baptist Church in Montego Bay, whose pastor was Reverend Thomas Birchill, a missionary from England. Subsequently, Sam was able to move about the island from parish to parish, spreading both the word of God and the ideology of the freedom he believed the Bible spoke of. Both his intellect and position made Sam Sharp well-respected among the enslaved people on the island, 
does he add their ear? According to my research, there were very few days and circumstances in a year that those enslaved under chattel slavery did not work. One such day is Sunday, reserved as a day of worship. That fact alone may explain one of the reasons religion holds such an esteemed role in the black community, as worship was one of the only ways they were able to gather as a group outside of performing laborious work. Christmas, and typically the two days following, were the other days. Sharp planned for the protests to occur on the days after the Christmas break and timed the protests to have maximum impact on the sugarcane harvest because if the cane was not cut, most of the island's crops would be ruined. These enslaved workers were demanding to have more freedom and a working wage in the form of a salary that was half of the normal wage. Participants of the protest agreed amongst themselves not to resort to violence unless violence was used against them. However, two days after the rebellion started peacefully, it devolved into a vicious battle. On December 28, 1831, after the British militia marched on the protesters, the Kensington estate Great House was set on fire. The uprising lasted 11 days and came to be known by many names, such as the Baptist War, the Sam Sharp Rebellion, the Christmas Rebellion, the Christmas Uprising, and the Great Jamaican Slave Revolt of 1831 to 1832. It involved 60,000 slaves and resulted in the deaths of 186 slaves and 14 white overseers or planters. In addition, more than 500 slaves were convicted of participating in the rebellion. Many were hanged and their heads were severed and placed around their plantations as a warning against future rebellions. Those who escaped the death penalty were treated brutally. Sharp was named the key figure of the rebellion. He surrendered to save the Baptist missionaries from blame for the revolt and was eventually hanged in Montego Bay on May 23, 1832, where he declared, I would rather die upon yonder gallows than live in slavery. Sharp's owners were paid £16, which is about $2,940 US dollars in 2023 for their loss of property. Sharp was buried like a criminal in the sands of the Montego Bay Harbour. However, his remains were later recovered and buried beneath the pulpit of the Birchill Baptist Church. It is believed that this uprising led to the eventual abolition of slavery on the island since the scope of its destruction invigorated the abolitionist factions in the British Parliament. Samuel Sharp is featured on the Jamaican $50 bill and the location of his execution is presently a square named in his honor. Paul Bogle is another Jamaican hero with the title of Baptist Deacon. He emerged as a leader about 30 years after the abolition of the slaves, spearheading the last large-scale rebellion on the island, the Morant Bay Rebellion. Bogle was born in 1822 in the parish of St. Thomas to Cecilia Bogle, a free woman. By all accounts, he was a financially successful man owning a home in Stony Gut, another in Spring Garden, and a 500-acre farm in Dunrobin. He was also one of the few men on the island who met the financial requirements of the poll tax needed to vote, and even rare feat for the Afro-Jamaican men of the time. For perspective, 
1845, the adult population of St. Thomas Parish numbered at least 3,300 with only 104 as voters, which is approximately 3%. Paul Bogle also had a friendship with George William Gordon, a wealthy biracial businessman, politician, assembly representative of St. Thomas, and fellow Baptists who helped have Bogle instated as a deacon. Suffice it to say, Bogle was not living the life of the everyday man. Yet he was keenly aware of the suffering black peasants experienced due to systemic social and economic discrimination. An impoverished existence coupled with social injustice was the mainstay of most Afro-Jamaicans for many years after the emancipation of slavery. The root cause of the Montby Rebellion started with a long-standing grievance that was ignored and followed by continued demonstrations of inequality. In 1865, Assemblyman Gordon condemned Edward John Eyre, governor of Jamaica, for sanctioning everything done by the higher class to the oppression of the Negroes. This type of persecution resulted in high rates of unemployment, taxes, and low wages for those employed. Rightly concerned for the well-being of the country's underprivileged majority, Gordon enlisted Bogle to lead a small group of farmers and former slaves on a 50-mile march from Stonygut to Spanish Town to address Governor Eyre in person regarding their political grievances. They were denied an audience with the governor. The official rebellion started in October 1865 when a Bogle supporter was arrested while protesting the conviction of a black Jamaican who was charged with trespassing on an abandoned plantation. On October 7th, Bogle and his supporters who were in attendance at the trial engaged colonial police, freeing both the arrested Bogle supporter and the man being tried. In response, officials issued 28 arrest warrants for the incident. A failed attempt to arrest Bogle after his return to Stonygut was made by the colonial police, but they were fought off. Paul and his brother Moses then edited a march on a vestry meeting being held at the Morant Bay Courthouse in St. Thomas on October 11, 1865, with about 300 people in tow. They were confronted this time by militia men who opened the fire on them, killing seven of the protesters. The protesters retaliated by setting the courthouse on fire, along with other nearby buildings, killing several parish officials such as Baron von Kettlholz, who were attempting to flee, in addition to 15 militiamen. Lastly, they also set 51 prisoners free. Colonial soldiers were brought to Morant Bay to crush the rebellion. Maroons from Moortown also participated in subduing the rebellion, adhering to their previously agreed-on treaty with the British. Approximately 500 people were killed before order was restored. Stonygut considered the stronghold of the rebellion was destroyed. By order of Governor Eyre, Assemblyman Gordon, who did not participate in the rebellion, was arrested on the suspicion of planning the revolt. He was charged with high treason and sentenced to death without due process of the law. Gordon was executed on October 23, 1865. Paul and Moses Bogle were captured and hanged on October 24, 1865, at the Morant Bay Courthouse. A royal commission was sent from London to investigate the rebellion in January 1866. Following their investigation, Governor Eyre was removed as governor of Jamaica. 
he was charged but not convicted of murder. Jamaica became a crown colony governed directly from England as a result of the rebellion. Though tragic, the rebellion led to more just practices in the courts and made social and economic advancements possible. At the time of their deaths, the men discussed in this episode were all executed for what was deemed crimes against their prospective crown. That said, one particular quote from Winston Churchill comes to mind. History is written by the victors. Yes, history is built on facts, but facts are interpreted through the lens of social and political power while measured against one's personal experiences. For the Afro-Caribbeans of the era, these men were their hope, their protectors, their leaders. They were villainized and admonished as cautionary tales by the powers that be and used as reminders for the Afro-Caribbeans to know their place in the social hierarchy. Today, these independent nations retell the stories, histories of Bookman, Sharp, and Bogle, extolling them as freedom fighters and bequeathing them with symbolic iconography that demonstrate their country's admiration for their sacrifice and bravery. I hope that you have garnered some knowledge from this episode. What good, my friends? Small Excellence is expanding and is excited to announce our new online shop, Small Merchandise. The store features a capsule collection dedicated to Jamaica. Go to www.smallmerchandise.shop. That is www.smallmerchandise.shop and take a look.